you. Let's turn to 1 Samuel chapter 16 and then 1 Peter chapter 3. This is a, uh, a new series. It's actually, I, I consider it like a two-part sermon series. Uh, the first part uh, is going to be addressed mostly to the men, although ladies, I think you'll learn something through it. And the second part will be addressed to the women, although men, you'll learn something through that as well. Um, and it's, uh, it's about helping us step up into our calling and destiny in Christ as the people uh, that God has created us to be. And so uh, uh, it won't cover everything in that, but uh, just some insights uh, for both men and for women. Um, we begin here with uh, chapter 16 of 1 Samuel. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul, since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite. For I have provided for myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. And invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do. And you shall anoint for me him who I declare to you. Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to meet him trembling and said, Do you come peaceably? And he said, Peaceably. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they came, he looked on Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as a man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by. And he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. Then Samuel said to Jesse, Are all your sons here? And he said, Well, there remains yet the youngest, but uh, behold, he's keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and get him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. And then in the New Testament, 1 Peter 3. Verse 15 to 17. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience 
so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. May God bless to us this reading from his holy word. So a question here. What makes a real man? You know, what makes a real man? I remember growing up, you had the Marlboro Man. This is years ago when smoking was popular because the Marlboro Man was this big Western cowboy holding a cigarette, you know, and it's like having a cigarette, that's what makes a real man. And what we've learned is, yeah, having a cigarette, that's what makes the real man dead. You know, so that, that's not, you know, that, that's not, you know, what makes a real man? You know, and is the church, is it for men, or is it really just for women? I mean, after all, I, I've, known, I've seen many, many men over the years say, well, you know, that's a woman's thing. You know, the church is for women. But I believe that the Christian faith is for real men. It's certainly not for the faint-hearted. It's certainly not for somebody who it just wants to back down all the time. You know, it's a lie that women are universally more religious than men. Now, in many of Western societies, including here in the United Kingdom, the average church has about 60% women, about 40% men. That's true in the United States as well. But, and so we assume sometimes that women are more religious than men, but that's absolutely not true. Do you know, in Islam, men are more likely to be religious than women. But it's only in Christianity that women are more likely to be religious than men, and that's only in the West, and we kind of wonder why, and I think a lot of it is because we've been told a lot of lies. You know, the world has told us a fantasy, a false story, that Christianity is only for the weak, the broken, or those who can't really measure up. And churches often cooperate with this false narrative, expecting men to express their feelings. You know, uh, or uh, we get weepy in worship. Oh, Jesus, I just love you. I just love you. You know, frankly, if I walked up to Jovan and I said, Jovan, I just love you, he'd slap me and, and I'd, I'd want him to do that. You know, bring me to my senses. You know, as men, you know, we're thinking Jesus is a man. You know, we don't normally go to another man and say, oh, I just love you so much. Just... Yeah, and yet that's kind of the attitude Sometimes it comes through. Now, I have a passionate love for Jesus. And I have a passionate love for men like Jovan. Uh, but we need to understand what that is. And in this series, I'm going to tell you. Uh, but not today. Not today. We're going to look at that because it's such an important issue. And we're going to see that in this series. You know, but, you know, so you, you think we need to get weepy. Or sometimes we think that men should just leave their manhood stuff at the door, you know, that you know, it's, it's our tendency as men to argue a bit. And yet we think in church, oh, no, we've got to be just, you know, just calm and nice and polite to one another. Uh, you know, but we men, I mean, we know what it's like, right? We can argue and we can have almost a knockdown, drag out kind of fight and then say, well, hey, let's go to the pint. You know, and we're friends. 
It's kind of how we interact. It's kind of how we relate. We don't have to stop being men when we become Christians. Now, to be sure, Christianity is for the weak, for the broken. Uh, But in order to minister to the weak and the broken, we need churches that are filled with men who know who they are as men in Jesus Christ. Because authentic men will help care for the weak and heal the broken. But we cannot do that unless we know who we are and we're willing to stand up and be the men that God has created us to be, be the men that God has called us to be, and be the men that Jesus has fashioned us to be. For men surrendered to Jesus, our Christian faith can fill us with courage, increase our stamina, our toughness, our endurance, empower our perseverance, make ourselves appropriately vulnerable, and enable us to strive for good for everyone around us. As we are surrendered to Jesus, and as we are the men that God created us to be, we can accomplish all those things. Now, Jesus was an amazing example of real manhood. That's why real men followed him. And if you don't think Jesus is a real man, let me take you. Uh, we've got a wooden cross in the prayer chapel. I've got a hammer and some nails upstairs. And I'll tell you, I, I just want one of your hands. You don't have to have all of them. Just let me drive a nail through one of your hands and hang it up there on that cross for a few hours. And you'll see what it's all about, right? And of course, David in the Old Testament. I mean, this guy is a great example of manhood. Look at this guy. I mean, he wrestles bears and lions. He plays the guitar. Well, he plays the lyre, but it's kind of like the guitar. You know, he sings. Uh, he's a good-looking guy. He's a warrior. He's tough. Uh, you know, the, the, the chicks really love him. I mean, all this stuff. He, everything you think about as a man. And yet, he's fully sold out to God in his manhood, and it's because of that that he accomplishes so many great things. So that's why we're going to look over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at just a few of the stories in David's life. I mean, I could spend a lot of months on going through David, but I'm just going to look at five different episodes in the life of David, things that teach us about living as men. And this, the passage today, kind of kicks off the story about who David is and his call and and how he served God as a man. And uh, and it comes at a time of real crisis uh, in the days of Israel. And it tells us that the world really depends on finding real men sold out to God. All around us, the workplace, government, education, the church, Everywhere we are, I mean, the life of David just shows us time and time again the importance of real men in every area of society. You know, if you're, if you're a real man for Jesus, coming to Jesus doesn't mean you give up work. It actually helps you to engage. He helps you to engage in work more fully. You know, coming to Jesus doesn't mean you give up football. You should have more fun playing football if you were Jesus. You get it? And we certainly see that in this passage. Look there in 1 Samuel 16. 
The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul, since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Now think about Saul. We haven't read much about him. But Saul was the king. And when he was chosen, I mean, Saul was tall. He was taller than anybody else. He was a good-looking guy and all of that. He seemed like a real man. He seemed like God's man. But golly, this guy, just time after time after time, did stuff that God told him not to do. I mean, he was a people pleaser. He thought he could offer the sacrifice on his own. He thought his way was better than God's way and that uh, he didn't really have to kill the king of Amalek. Uh, He could actually just save the king of Amalek and and save all the really good stuff, you know, that somehow God would be really pleased if he saved all the gold that God told him to destroy. Uh, You know, and, and so finally God said, okay, enough's enough, Saul. Sorry, you are no longer king. Uh, I'm taking it away from you. You can be king for a while, but your days are numbered. And it was because he wasn't living up to his call as a man. And so it was time to find somebody else. And so God said, okay, Samuel, he's the prophet in Israel. He's kind of the religious leader and the political leader. Well, he was the political leader until they had a king. He's the religious leader in Israel and says, go to Bethlehem. I've got somebody there. I'm going to have you anoint as king, you know, and, and uh, Saul says, well, you know, I'm a little concerned about, uh, I mean, Samuel says, I'm a little concerned about Saul because Bethlehem, uh, Jerusalem, they're kind of, you know, close together there. But he says, no, don't be afraid. Go on. And especially from Jesse and from Jesse's sons. And so Samuel, he's always obedient to the Lord. He did what the Lord said. And then, you know, the elders, he comes and prophets in those days, I mean, they're just as like to, likely to call down fire from heaven to smite you as they are to tell you that they love you, you know? And so whenever you see a prophet coming, especially somebody like Samuel, and everybody knows God always fulfills Samuel's words, uh, you know? So it's like, okay, are you coming in peace? Or are you coming to like call down fire and cook us like crispy critters? And he says, don't worry about it. I'm coming in peace. I've actually brought a sacrifice. We're going to have a party. And so the sacrifice in those days was a twofold combination. It's like worship with lots of food. You know, kind of like what we're doing today, uh, only they had a big bull that they were eating. And we don't have a lot of bull, I don't think, today. Uh, I don't know what's on the menu. And so, so this is the situation. But it's important to note here that the invitation to come to the sacrifice is also an invitation to worship God. Important to remember that, Okay. Then we, learn, we start to learn some other key things here. Actually, as we go through the story, we learn that we must not evaluate a man on his appearance or his stature. I mean, remember, Saul was a tall guy. He was taller than anybody else. Yeah, he was better looking than most other people. And they thought, hey, he'd make a great king. Well, he didn't. And so when they came to... This is verses 6 and 7. When they came, he looked on Eliab... This is Jesse and his sons. They come up. He looks on Eliab, the, the oldest son, and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. This is not the guy. And so, you know, God exposes something in Samuel that's true for all of us men and women, and that is we have a tendency to evaluate our manhood or the manhood of others based on outward appearance or stature. Things like physical appearance, 
uh, money, the position that a person has, the power that a person has. And God says here very clearly, don't use those standards to evaluate whether or not you are a man. Whether you are or not you are God's man. Whether you not, or not you are a real man. You know, going around like Vladimir Putin with his sh- shirt off, killing bears or playing hockey, well, he doesn't play hockey with his shirt off, you know, that doesn't make him a man. It doesn't make you a man. If you're tough, if you're big, if you're good looking like me, it doesn't make you a man. These outward things are not what determine in the eyes of God whether or not you are rising up as a man before Him. So if it's not these things, what is it? God looks on the heart. The heart is what really shows our manhood. Verse 7, For the Lord sees not as a man sees, Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. God doesn't look, God doesn't see like people see. He doesn't. The Lord doesn't look on your finely chiseled body. He looks on the heart. The Lord doesn't look on your achievements and your accomplishments. He looks on the heart. The Lord doesn't look on your money and wealth. He looks on the The Lord doesn't look on your fame or the number of YouTube followers you have. The Lord looks on the The Lord doesn't look on your power or level of influence. He looks on the The Lord doesn't look on your position or the great job that you have. The Lord looks on the The Lord doesn't look on your rank in society. He looks on the The Lord doesn't look on your failures and your faults. He looks on the... He doesn't look on your struggles and addictions. He looks on the... And we need to remember that. The Lord doesn't look on your win-loss record. He looks on the... The heart is the totality of your inner being. It is your true personality. It's who you really are in the depths of your being. But now we know there's a big problem here. There's a really big problem. That all men, I mean, guys, we know this. We, know, we don't often admit it, but we know this really big problem is that we are all conscious that something's not quite right with our hearts. Especially if we're outside of Christ. In fact, Much of what men try to do who are outside of Jesus Christ, whether it's getting that finely chiseled body or they're getting that power, that fame, or they're getting that money, much of what men try to do outside of Jesus Christ, they're doing to cover up the true state of their heart. They think if I can get this, if I dress right, if I look right, if I have the right women around me, then I can masquerade what's really down deep inside of me. But we all know that men, you know, as men, we have shame, we have anxiety, we have jealousy, we have envy, we have greed, we have sin, our hearts are unclean. And so if you're outside of Christ and you hear that God looks on the heart, you know, that's not really good news sounding. But the good news is 
that when we surrender our lives fully to Jesus, He makes our hearts right before God. He cleans our hearts. He gives us a new heart, the Old Testament tells us, and He magnifies the best of our manhood. Jesus doesn't take your manhood away. Jesus doesn't diminish your manhood. Jesus doesn't ask you to set your manhood aside. Jesus magnifies the goodness of the manhood that he has put inside of you so that you can use your manhood for greatness, for glory to God in Jesus Christ and to bring about good in this world around us. When God looks on our hearts as Christians, he looks on the heart made right in Jesus Christ. And we can know then that we don't have to be ashamed before God. Even when we sin, even when we make mistakes. Now hear me, God takes our sin very seriously. He doesn't excuse it and he doesn't just let us get away with it. I mean, that's why Jesus died and that's why he gives us repentance. But if we don't repent, even as Christians, we will face consequences for our sin. He takes it seriously, but your sin is not what he sees when he looks on your heart as a man in Jesus Christ. And men, we understand that. We need to understand that because the enemy, once you're in Christ, the enemy wants you to feel ashamed. God doesn't. The enemy wants you to have anxiety. God doesn't. The enemy wants you to focus on your faults. God doesn't. The enemy wants you to focus on your failures. God doesn't. The enemy wants you to focus on the places where you lack. God doesn't. And men, we need to stop it in Jesus Christ when that happens. We need to stop and remember that we have clean hearts. And when God looks on our heart, he's looking on a heart made right in Jesus Christ if we are fully surrendered to him. Men, if you have not surrendered your life to God in Jesus Christ, none of this is true for you. But the good news is you can do it. And it's easy. And I like the word surrender, not the word commit. You know, so, so if you come up and uh, you ask me for money, I can say, well, I can commit a tenor to you. But if you ask for my surrender, you get all my money. You get all my time. But that's what Jesus calls for. He calls for our surrender to him because it's only through surrendering to him that our hearts are made new in Jesus Christ. And with clean hearts, we can righteously pursue what is best, the best for ourselves and the best for others. And that's the key message that's coming through here. That's the key message you got to get in this passage. But it's not the only message. Now you might miss something in these next few verses. Uh, Let me read them. Uh, 8 to 12. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Shammah passed by, and all the other sons passed by. Samuel says to Jesse, Are all your sons here? And he said, Well, there remains yet the youngest, but he is keeping sheep. Now understand here, one, he's the youngest. In, In that society, if you're the youngest, you're not quite as important as the oldest. That's why, remember Joseph, and uh, Jacob, you know, Joseph, his younger son, why the brothers got upset because Joseph was the youngest and yet Jacob was giving him favor here. 
So Jesse's like, oh, well, the youngest is out there. What is he doing? He's just tending the sheep. So the other brothers, they have positions of responsibility and authority. And well, okay, we don't really have anything for David to do. Well, let's, let's just send him away. He's a bit of a, a nuisance, right? You know, the youngest, if you, have, if you have multiple siblings, the youngest really is always the pain. You know, you know Jane will figure that out later. No, she's not. Uh, you know, it, it's, it, that's the way, it's a family dynamic, you know. And so they, just, they put him out in a place of hiddenness and insignificance. Okay? He's in the place of hiddenness and insignificance. And Samuel says to Jesse, send and get him, for we'll not sit down till he comes. And he sent and brought him in. <coughs> Excuse me. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is he. Now this is the point here. We cannot evaluate ourselves based on where we are or what's happening in our lives at any given time. You cannot evaluate who you are as a man. You must not do this based on where you are or what's happening in your lives at any given time. God sees us where we are. I remember uh, 30, more than 30 years ago, Karen and I were praying about ministry and we had a feeling that uh, we, we had a desire really to be in a church that was genuinely, what we'd say at the time, multicultural, many different cultures, not just black and white as most multicultural churches in the States were. We wanted a church that believed in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, but also believed in the Word of God. Uh, we wanted a church, that we thought that the church would be kind of in a city center somewhere. You know, and we even wondered if it might even be outside the United States, but we didn't know at the time, because there wasn't much in the U.S. about like that. You know, and you know what God did? He promptly sent us to a church in a community of 3,400 people in rural Missouri. And it's like, okay, what are you doing? It's, it's as far away as possible. But it was preparation for being here 15 years later. You cannot evaluate your manhood, your importance, anything about yourself based on where you are or what's happening in your lives at any given time. You might feel that you're hidden away. You might feel like you've been given the really poor assignment out in the field somewhere, looking after the smelly sheep, not getting the good home-cooked food, but having to, have to live on uh, stale sandwiches or, or whatever. Uh, you might feel like you're missing the action that so many great things are going on around you and, and you're not really a part of it. But you need to understand the Lord sees you and the Lord is working on you. The Lord house knows how to call you into your place at the right time. And you can never evaluate your significance as a man based on anything that's going on. You can oftentimes be having an input, an impact in your life that you do not understand. You see yourself as insignificant. You see yourself as small. You see yourself as inconsequential. 
what God sees is what He's doing in your life and He's doing through you and you have no idea how God is changing the world through your life as a man. You have no idea. So you just need to have that heart that's right before God and keep stepping into what God shows you, what God has for you. Keep doing what is in front of you without worrying about the long-distance outcomes because God has you in His plan, in His eyes. He has not forgotten you, even if you're in a place of hiddenness. And then finally, we close out the passage. Not only do we need a heart that's right before the Lord, even if we're in hiddenness, but we also need the Spirit of God rushing upon us. Even though Jesus Christ transforms us and magnifies the manhood, the things, the aspects of our manhood that God has put in our lives, we still cannot do it in our own strength. The hit, this history of City Temple is filled with ministers who mistakenly thought they could do something for God in their own strength. And sometimes, these are not just, you know, liberal guys. These are some of the conservative guys, the evangelical guys. They thought, hey, I can do this myself. Thanks, God, for the call. Now get out of the way and let me do it. We cannot do anything. We cannot accomplish anything meaningful in our lives without the Spirit of God. Look at this. Then Samuel, verse 13, took the horn of oil and anointed David in the midst of his brothers, And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward, and Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. Now the Spirit of the Lord is already in us, transforming us into the image of Jesus. He's the one that gives us a new heart. But in this case, we need the Spirit of the Lord to rush upon us. And in the Bible, whenever it talks about the Spirit of the Lord rushing upon someone or coming upon someone, it is always talking about the Spirit of God empowering them for service, empowering them for action, empowering them to do something. And the amazing thing with David, that the Spirit of the Lord rushes upon that, on David from that day forward. He continues to work and walk in the power of the Spirit of God. Everything he does in his life that's good, he does in the power of the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God empowers us to live our lives as real men in Christ. The Spirit of God rushing upon us, now it's sometimes called the anointing, comes out of this kind of passage, but it happens when we ask for it. God doesn't want to withhold His Spirit. If we come with an open heart and say, Spirit of God, come upon me and empower me to live for Jesus, He will do it. It happens sometimes when others pray for us. If you're hungry for a new outpouring of the Spirit of God on your life, you can come and you don't have to come to a minister or some kind of holy guy. You can just go to one another and say, hey brother, pray that the Spirit of God would be poured out on my life. And the Spirit of God also is poured out upon us when we worship. That's why I made the point there earlier in the passage, when we are worshiping God. You know, sometimes you'll see me raise my hands. Now, I'm not raising my hands because I've got some kind of ooshy, gushy, mushy feelings going on inside of me. I'm raising my hands simply because the Bible tells me to raise my hands. 
And many times, when I raise my hands like this, you know, what does this remind you of? should remind you of a funnel, right? So I want to catch as much of God's Spirit as I possibly can because I want to be filled with the Spirit. And I know that when I'm surrendering myself to God in worship, the Spirit of God comes upon me. And it doesn't mean I have to be singing. I just raise my hands just to receive what God has. But the important part is that we must have the Spirit of God coming upon us. This is men and women, by the way. But especially us men, especially us men, we need the Spirit of God. So, you know, it's time for us as real men to rise up in our calling and destiny in Jesus Christ. And if you've been trying to be a real man on your own efforts, it's time for you to surrender your life to Jesus. You need to say, Lord Jesus, I give you my life. I believe you died on the cross for me, and I believe that you rose from the dead. Fill me with your spirit and enable me to live for you. A simple prayer of surrender like that can be the beginning of a lifelong destiny in the Lord Jesus Christ. We need this surrender. We need men fully surrendered to Jesus so Jesus can put the new heart of a real man within us so that we can change the world together as God has called us to do in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Gracious God, you are amazing. We love you. We worship you. We thank you for loving us. Lord, I pray for my brothers right now in this room. I pray, Father, that if you stirred their hearts, that as we worship, they would surrender their lives to you. Maybe we've surrendered before, but we choose to surrender again to reaffirm what we've done. And Father, as we worship today, especially us men, I pray that your Holy Spirit might be poured out upon us in power. That you might empower us to live boldly for you through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. For all of us, Father, we thank you for the Holy Spirit. We thank you that you are raising up real men in the church of Jesus Christ, not only this church, but across our country, across our nation. We pray, Lord God, that the men in Christ and our nation would rise up wherever they are in their work, in their families, in their leisure, that they would rise up in the fullness of their manhood, living boldly for Jesus without compromise, but at the same time living fully for Jesus so that the men around us will see that becoming a Christian is not surrendering our manhood. Becoming a Christian is fulfilling our manhood. Let us be an example of this through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, Father, I pray that you would come, Jesus, that you would come, Spirit, that you would come, and attend to this table. When we look at this bread and we look at this cup, we realize it was a real man, Jesus, 
who died on the cross. He didn't shrink back from allowing his body to be broken on the cross and his blood to be shed on the cross so that we could have forgiveness of sins, so that we could have fullness of life, so that we could rise up as men and women in Christ Jesus. So come and attend to us in this time. Bless this bread and this cup that they are truly for us, the body and blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, broken on the cross. Use them to give us real communion as men and women in Christ with Jesus and with one another. We love you. We honor you. We worship you. We adore you. We thank you for your presence here with us. We pray all this through Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Amen.